Okay, thank you. Morning, everyone. Could you stand with me, please? <clears throat> the Lord Jesus calls us to be part of a community, of his new community together, and part of that is getting to know one another. And so I'm going to give you a couple of minutes right now to take some time and wander around, shake hands, greet, hug, kiss, and meet some new people. Take your time. Or just a hug? Oh, just a hug. How disappointing. How are you? Pasta. Senior pasta. Status. <laughs> I said senior pasta. Status. Am I? Caracas, our church service, we would have the, um, the beginning of the service and then we'd have usually about a 20 minute um, slot just like this, mixing around and talking to everyone and then we'd come together and uh, have the uh, preaching of the word. So this is a bit, I was just saying it reminds us of Caracas. And so in conclusion, I would just like to pray. (laughs) 
like school. I used to be a school teacher. It's just like a school classroom experience. There's this whole volume of noise and then suddenly it goes, hmm. It's almost like you've been caught out talking and you know when you become the last one talking and you better stop because the teacher's going to catch you. <clears throat> Did you enjoy that? Some churches do that, you know, in the middle of their service and Jeff was just re- sharing with me, they used to do that in their church in Caracas. They would have first part of the service like we have and then they'd have 20 minute gap in the middle of talking and have morning tea and stuff and then come back for the teaching of the word afterwards. Yeah, no, we're not doing that. It's <laughs> actually a, a mate of mine in Sydney, he planted a church and uh, they started that way and they did that for about three or four years and then the leaders in that church said, okay, it's time for us to transition, we'll put the morning tea at the end and the people said, no, we, we really like this. And so they would have 20 minutes break, about a 20 minute time thing and then they would come back and was just open-ended then. There was no rush to finish the teaching of God's Word and he would often teach for about an hour or something like that. Would you like to do that? Yeah, well, the Lord bless you. <laughs> be a challenge, wouldn't it, Pastor? Do- no, it wouldn't be, really. If you're visiting today, since your first service, then welcome and we are delighted that you are here. You join us in the process of a series on grace, G-R-A-C-E. We're not talking so much just about God's grace, though that, of course, undermines and impacts all that we experience, but rather it's the letters of that word, G, standing for being genuine. As followers of the Lord Jesus, God calls us, requires us, desires us to be genuine, to be real, to be genuine in the way we speak, to be real and genuine in the way that we act, to be sincere fair income followers of the Lord Jesus. R stands for being receptive, receptive to him and to his word, to the prompts of his spirit, but also receptive, responsive to one another as we speak and share with one another. That where we are sharing a burden or a hurt, that we are hearing and responding genuinely. Or if it's a word of correction, that someone has observed something in us which may not quite be right and we feel that As a committed part of the church body, we need to hold each other accountable to assist each other. We can't do this alone. So it's being receptive to the corrective word from a brother or sister. A stands for being active, being involved. God's given you gifts, abilities, talents, and he wants you not simply to attend church, to sit and soak and then be a spectator and go home, but he wants you to be learning and experimenting and having a go and being involved of making mistakes together, Hmm. active. And they're worth thinking about. Am I genuine in my, the way I speak and the way I act towards my brothers and sisters, towards others? Am I receptive and open to God and to others impacting and speaking truth into my life? Am I involved and not just simply being a spectator? C is where we find ourselves now and that stands for community. God invites us to be part, certainly part of the Lord Jesus, one with him. But then because we are linked with him, we are also to be committed to and linked with one another, to be part of his community. And there are many analogies, pictures in the New Testament of that dynamic. And there's one in front of us this morning in John chapter 15, that Jesus is the vine and that we are the branches, that we are in this together and we are connected with him and identified or belonging also with one another and active in the process of bearing fruit and so on. We're going to come through some of that in a moment. There are other pictures in the New Testament 
being a household of God, the family of God, of being the bride and the groom, the Lord Jesus being the groom and the church is his bride of this connected relationship. Tonight Josh is going to talk about being the body and that we are members, parts of the body together. This idea of community is that we are committed individually to following Jesus but also committed to one another. And this passage the Lord Jesus goes on to talk about at the end of it, this is my command that you love one another that he is just as concerned about our relationship with each other as he is about our relationship with him. They are not mutually exclusive, that this one is more important than this one. A person came to the Lord Jesus one day, an expert in the law, a scribe, a lawyer, and asked Jesus the question, and you know the answer to it, what's the greatest commandment? Of the 613 commandments in the Old Testament that Moses gave us, which is the most important? They used to debate it, they used to argue about it. Jesus, of course, said, the greatest commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then he said, and the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. That must have rattled their cage. The lawyer says to Jesus, you've answered well. Sounds rather condescending, doesn't it? Good answer, Jesus. That's what I would have said too. And then Jesus perceives that you're not far from the kingdom if you have that level of understanding. What strikes me is Jesus says, what's important? Loving God. And many of us would say, full stop. That's what's important, loving God. But Jesus says, loving God and loving one another. They go together. It's the Ten Commandments, the first table of the law of how we should respond to God and the second table of the law of how we should respond to one another. They are inseparable, two sides of the one coin. In fact, John very strongly draws the the conclusion in 1 John 2 and 4. He says, if someone says, I love God, but is out of step in a real horizontal relationship, doesn't love their brother or sister, they say, I love God, cranky, I'm angry, I hate brother or sister. John says... You're deceived, you're deluded, and you are a liar. Strong words, aren't they? I love God. Well, if you love God, it'll be shown in your relationships with one another. This passage in front of us, the Lord Jesus is speaking his final words to his disciples. It's uh, almost the end of his earthly life. It's the night before the crucifixion. In John chapter 14, he has indicated to them, they've had the Lord's Supper together, he has washed their feet. John 14, he says, I'm going away. I'm going to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And they're a bit despondent about that and then he comforts them by saying, before I return, I will send you the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who's just like me, another comforter, another paraclete, one who will come alongside you and he is just like me and he will take of mine and he will teach you and impart truths to you and he will develop and grow you until my return. John chapter 15 Martin Luther cheekingly once said that if the angels want to have a good laugh, they read the commentaries. Cheeky words. But commentators do try to guess, why does Jesus suddenly break into this statement, I am the true vine? Did he see a vine? Did they walk under that magnificent gold structure of a 35-metre vine? 
pure gold with jewels and stuff encrusted on it where wealthy Jewish families when they died would bequeath bunches of jewels and grapes to this structure worth millions is that what he saw and when he says I am the true vine the vine was an analogy which was very familiar to the Jewish people it was the analogy used in the Old Testament to talk about the people of Israel in Psalm 80 Isaiah 5 and lots of other places it's the analogy of God has taken a piece of the vine and he's took it out of, taken it out of Egypt and he has planted it in the country of Israel where it was to become a luscious vine and fruitful and to be a light to the nations and people would come to learn about God there but of course their vine was overrun and ruined and didn't produce the fruit that it should have and the Lord Jesus says I am the true vine if you want to know God it's not through Israel, it's through him. Back in John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the way. If you want to know God, you want to find God, it's through Jesus. I am the truth. You want to know the truth about God? It's in Jesus. I am the life. If you want to experience the life of God, it's through Jesus. He is the way, the truth, the life. He is the true vine. And Jesus says in the true vine, as his followers, as his disciples, we are to be linked in with him. We are the branches as his followers, but he is the vine. He is the source of this spiritual life. And we have to be closely connected with him. And if we are not connected with him, then we do not have his life in us. This passage alludes to the idea that there are two sorts of branches. And my question to you this morning is, which branch are you? The first branch is one which is a fruitful branch. The Lord Jesus says that in verse 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. That's a fruitless branch. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it might be even more fruitful. So there is a fruitful branch and there is a fruitless branch. It says somehow that it's in him. And the best way that I can explain that is that there is this branch which is connected to the vine, which has the life of the vine flowing through it, the sap producing the, live, the leaf and the fruit and the juice and everything else. It's connected in. There is a result which is observable and examinable. And there are other branches seemingly connected, but the life is not flowing because there is no connection. That's evidenced by there is no fruit. There are fruits that are genuinely connected to Jesus. Branches bearing fruit. And there are branches seemingly connected to Jesus, but not bearing fruit. And the Lord Jesus said in another context, you will know them by their fruit. No fruit not connected. Which branch are you? Are you connected in? Are you bearing fruit? We'll talk about the fruit in a minute. The Lord Jesus goes on to say, in fact, uh, that the Father has an operation. My Father is the gardener. My Father comes along and he examines every branch, each one of us, and he is looking for fruit. And where he doesn't see fruit, says he removes it. Where he finds fruit, he may very well prune it. Talk a bit more about that in a minute. Of course, in the story, 
so far, we have just read about, in a few chapters before, about Judas, who was a person who said he belonged to the vine, that he was a follower of Jesus, but he has been removed. No fruit. Which branch are you? Connected in, sincere, following Jesus, pretending? Not a false Christian, perhaps somebody who is just here, out of routine, being a church attender, but not a Christian, not a Christ follower. You know, the amazing thing is, and you can answer this question yourself, the amazing thing is that the sovereign Lord Jesus, in all of his greatness, waits for us to respond. He could, but doesn't, force himself. One day in sovereign power, he will return. And at that point, he will force himself. Then he will declare all doors shut and he'll separate from believers from unbelievers. Then he will assert his sovereign will. Between now and then, he is patient. There's an amazing verse in Revelation chapter 3 where the Lord Jesus is speaking to the churches and the last church he speaks to is the one in Laodicea. And this church had thought they were spiritually strong but in fact they were weak and lukewarm and compromising and not solidly committed either. They were pretending. And the Lord Jesus comes to them and his word to them is, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's on the outside of the church, knocking. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door. See, he waits. He waits for our response. If you hear and if you open the door, then he says, then he will enter. Enter into close fellowship. We'll eat together. So question. Have you responded that way? Have you heard the Lord Jesus? Have you responded to his invitation? Have you accepted him as saviour? Asked him to forgive you for your sins? Have you confessed that he is Lord, your Lord? If you have, then you've been grafted into the vine. You're part, a branch in the vine. And your duty, your responsibility, your privilege is to stay connected. But if you've never made that decision yet, and it's great that you're here, and for you to clearly understand, you've got to make that choice, that response. And today would be a good day to make that choice and response. So there are two sorts of branches. Which branch, branch are you? He is the source of our spiritual life. The second thing I wanted to say to you is the purpose of our life in the Lord Jesus, of being linked to him. The reason God has set this up this way is for us to become like him. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He evaluates, he prunes and he removes branches. Jesus says, verse 3, you, the disciples, are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in me. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. The purpose of being in Jesus, of being linked with him, is to bear fruit. The reason we have fruit trees is because we want fruit. And depending on the sort of life that we have within the tree is a sort of fruit that it will produce. So pear trees produce shock horror, pears. Apple trees produce apples. Pear trees don't produce apples. You are aware of this, aren't you? Cherries don't grow on grapevines. So 
the life that you have living within, if it's a spiritual life of the Lord Jesus, if you're linked with him, then it's his life that will be manifested in your life. That will be the fruit. If apple trees produce apples and pear trees produce pears, then what do Christian trees produce? Christians? Christ-likeness. And Christians. But it's Christ-likeness. It's his life being manifested in your life that you will become increasingly like him. Romans 8.29, in fact, is God's purpose, his undeviating purpose that says he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. All that's going on in our life, this is what God is at work doing, shaping us to mould us to be like Jesus. And, of course, inside every fruit is the potential for a whole paddock full of fruit. The kind of life we have living within us will be manifested. The purpose of this life in the Lord Jesus is to become like him. Question, which branch are you? Second question, are you producing the fruit of Jesus? Are you becoming increasingly like him? Of course, the fruit of the Spirit is not a bad examination or definition of that. The fruit of the Spirit are the characteristics of the Lord Jesus himself. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Are these part of your life? Becoming increasingly part of your life? We're all on a journey. Nobody's arrived fully. But are we producing fruit? Not just producing it, but more fruit and much fruit. The agency that God uses in order for this fruit to happen in our life and for us to become, in fact, grafted into the vine is his word. Jesus says in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. It's God's word that links us into Jesus. But it's also God's word remaining in us and us reading it, responding to it, understanding it, uh, applying it, doing it, obeying it is what's going to shape us to produce this fruit. Jesus says, verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, then it goes on to ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. But that link between remaining in him and his word remaining in us, he is linked to us through his word, which is what he goes on to say later on about how he has obeyed God's commands And as we obey his commands, we demonstrate our love and commitment, our connection to him, obedience to his word. Are you obedient to his word? Are you doing what he's selling you in his word? That's one way of discerning whether you're in fact remaining in him. Many churches, I said in the other service, um, focus upon um, very practical messages, sermons on how to live, how to how to be a better husband, how to handle anger, how to manage your finances, how-to type sermons. And they're helpful, but it's not the way that God normally works. God works through his word. And so our church is committed to the idea of teaching the Bible, helping us to understand God's word and applying it to our life. For it's not just a matter of reading it, understanding it, full stop. That's not enough. It's reading it, understanding it, and applying it. What am I going to do on the basis of what God is saying to me? It's not just in my head. It's to be in my heart, in my hands, and in my habits. God's word is to be transforming us into being passionate followers of the Lord Jesus. 
It's God's word that brings us to Christ, hearing the gospel and responding to it. It's God's word that feeds us in Christ, nourishes us, helps us to be a strong branch, if you like. It's God's word that grows us in Christ. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, So then, just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live in him. The way you started is the way you continue, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. We begin with God's word, we continue with God's word, and it's God's word that shapes, that prunes, that convicts, that cleanses us, that transforms us. God uses the word to do all of that. So how are you going with God's word? As you remain in the vine seeking to produce the fruit, the characteristics of Jesus in response to his very clear instructions to us in Scripture. That's the agency, the means that God uses. The whole purpose and dynamic of this is that we are to have this intimate relationship with Jesus. We are to remain in him. We are not simply religious, but we are related. It's personal. I know him. I love him. He loves me. He loves you. He loves us. And he wants us to love him and to love one another. This dynamic of this spiritual life within us is nurtured by and sustained by us being committed to abiding in him, remaining focused in him. It's something to be cultivated. There are choices we must make on a daily basis. That answer Jesus gave to that Jewish scribe when he came to him and said, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses goes on to teach, teach these to your children and remind them of these truths. When you're at home, when you're outside the home, when you're sitting down, when you're standing up, when you're walking along the way, whatever you're doing, in every situation of life, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And there are some people who teach that what the Jews understood that to be and say that in fact maybe even the Lord Jesus did this himself, that when he literally stood, there was this reorientation of the mind, the recitation of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. They would say that to themselves when they stood, when they sat. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. As they were walking along the way, when they went to bed at night, when they got up in the morning, during the day, they would continually use this command to refocus, I belong to God, I'm to be centred on him. As I was explaining, I'm not sure who to now, but I found this helpful for me. The God is, and I don't know, I'm not sure if I told you last week or not. Anyway, the God is not a part of our life that is like at the top of the ladder that he is in first place and that there are all these other compartments in our life. It's not like that. That God is number one and most important. He is. But that's not a helpful analogy because God is there but God is removed from all these other dimensions of my life. It's much rather think of your life like a pie and chop it up into all the various segments and you have all these different aspects to your life, your home life, your work life, your sporting life, your physical life, your mental life, your emotional life, all of your life. And then draw a circle in the middle and that's where God is, at the centre. He is at the centre of my life and he is in every part of my life. 
So whether I'm at work, whether I am at home, whether I am playing sport, whether I am relating to other people, whether I'm by myself, that I am to do it as a God-centred person and that each day I'm to cultivate this awareness and this relationship. I belong to Jesus. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. I belong to him and I represent him in every aspect of my life. This is the dynamic that God is looking for. There was a man by the name of Frank Lawback, a missionary, and he had developed a skill that every hour of his waking day he would turn his mind back to God. Every hour. I don't know if he did it on the hour, but so bang, at the top of the hour, he would say, I belong to God. And he developed that and it became a, a habit in his life and he found that very helpful. In his own testimony, he says he went on to develop that down to not just to the quarter hour or to the five minutes, but he was aiming to get it to the minute. That he lived perpetually conscious that he was grafted into the vine, that he belonged to Jesus, and that the fruit that he was producing in his life was to reflect Jesus to others. We are to cultivate this in our own life, the dynamic of the life. The source of this life, Jesus. The purpose of this life, bearing fruit, becoming increasingly like Jesus. The agency that God uses, the means, his word. The dynamic, the purpose of this life, the dynamic of it, to abide in Jesus. The proof of this life, that I am in him, responding to his word, growing to become increasingly like him. The Lord Jesus says, in verses just 7 and 8, and I'll finish with this, are two things. One, answered prayer, that we will have an increasing experience that we are in tune with God and that he is listening to us and we are listening to him. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's an amazing promise. But it's not a blank check. It's conditional. If. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. Those two things. You're in tune. You're focused, fully obedient, submitting to him. Nothing that you're aware of in your life which is not right. And we are not perfect. This is an ongoing daily process. Then in that context, remaining in him, responding to his word, remaining in us, then we'll be asking things according to his will and according to his word. We'll be in tune with him, praying submissively to him. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It was Mary, Queen of Scots, who testified strongly that she feared the prayers of John Knox, Scottish reformer. She feared the prayers of John Knox more than an army of 20,000 soldiers. She feared what he would accomplish through prayer rather than being invaded by 20,000 troops. Here's a man who was abiding in the vine. There was a guy who was linked with the Lord Jesus, obedient to him, who knew God, knew God's will, and was praying accordingly, mighty in prayer. That'll be one of the manifestations that we are linked with Jesus. That our prayer life will likewise be effective, be powerful, and be accomplishing God's purpose in the world. Another uh, indication, uh, proof of this life, is in fact increasing fruit. That's the mark of discipleship. It's not just that we have some fruit, that we have a growing, developing. In verse 8, this is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit showing yourself to be my disciples 
the gardener, the father, when he comes along, they not only remove dead branches, which is where insects and diseases and things can grow to preserve the health of the vine. He'll not only remove those, but he will examine the branches and he'll see fruit. And he'll make a judgment as a good gardener would, and they still do it today apparently in the vineyards, that they will take some branches that are bearing some fruit and they will prune the fruit off and throw it away in order that that branch and other branches might be more fruitful, better quality and more of it, quantity and quality. The very first church where I was a pastor was at Seaforth Baptist Church and in the back corner of that house, which is down near Manly, heading towards the coast, um, there was this little mandarin tree, about this tall, about this round, and it was pathetic. It had about a hundred fruit on it, but they were all this size, and yuck. So I, being the brilliant gardener that I am, said, I'm going to get rid of that tree. It was an eyesore and it would, the fruit would drop and, you know, rot and yuck. And so I took to it with a saw. And I think I cut a third of it or two-thirds of it off. And for whatever reason, I didn't finish the job. I intended to, you know, that far from the ground. I was going to prune it, all right. <laughs> and to our surprise, great delight... I, don't, I told you I was a great gardener, so months must have passed. The thing regenerated. It grew more branches, and it had on those branches luscious fruit. Well, I'll be blown. I am a gifted gardener. <laughs> you prune the tree to get rid of fruit, which is this size, and it becomes back this size. More juice, more fruit, and more of it. Quantity as well as quality. And the Father does that in our life. He can very well take something out of your life, something where there is fruitfulness, something gift that he's given you, some dimension of your life, in order to make you more fruitful, more like the Lord Jesus. His pruning knife can sometimes hurt, but it has a good purpose. As I said to the other congregation, and I've said to you, I'm sure, on numerous occasions, God in our life will lead us sometimes to the edge of a cliff, lead us into a difficult situation where we are fearful of things going incredibly wrong. And sometimes he will come and he'll wrap his arms around us and he'll pull us away from the the dangerous situation and he will love us and provide for us and we'll experience his relief. There are other times in some of our lives where he will lead you to the edge of the cliff and when you get there you'll be praying and calling out to him and he will push and you will have this overwhelming sense of I cannot do it on my own. You will cry out to him more desperately. You will need to rely on him. You'll need to reach for him. God will do that in our lives as well because he yearns to have this intimate, close relationship with us. Just like Jesus was with the Father, so that's now the Father's desire for us that we would be just as close and intimate with him and he will work his purposes out. I read, but I do not know this for sure, but others have said the best grapes grow on the branches furthest from the vine, where they are out on the edge, relying on God, depending on it, being stretched. That's where the quality comes, and that's where God may very well take you in your life.
He is the source of his spiritual life. It's found in Jesus. He uses his word to achieve these purposes in our life and our response is to obey and to remain connected to him, reorientating our minds daily and often throughout the day. The proof that we are in him is that we become increasingly like him and that our prayer life is effective and that we find ourselves transformed into relationships with other believers, loving one another, loving God, loving one another. We are to belong to the vine, to be connected to the vine, to find joy in the vine. We are to serve in the vine and we are to grow and bear fruit in the vine. Are you in the vine? Are you bearing fruit? Is the Father pruning? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning as you are the gardener, that you would deal with each one of us who are branches in the vine, that you might prune where you think best or nourish where you know it's needed, but that ultimately you would assist us to produce more and better fruit in our life. Father, for us, may this week be a week of progress, of growing closer and more like the Lord Jesus. For those who are here this morning who are not sure if they're in the vine, then Lord, deal gently with them, we pray, and graft them in for all. Fill us with your spirit and with the life of Jesus and help us to live lives loving you, of loving one another and of bearing fruit to your glory. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.